Professors FM. Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Okay, welcome everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics podcast. Uh, my name is Mike Lewis. I'm a professor at Emory University, and I am joined by Mr. Doug Battle. How are you today, Doug? I'm doing well, Mike. The NBA has been pretty interesting lately with James Harden going to the Brooklyn Nets, and I'm a big NBA guy. I think I enjoy the roster management, free agency and trade season, the trade deadline, all the rest, as much as I enjoy the actual game. Probably more, to be honest. I mean, I enjoy the playoffs a lot more than the regular season, but um, it, it's fun to see what happens with these players. So I've enjoyed the fact that last week on the show, I predicted that 2021, I said, watch out for the Brooklyn Nets. I feel like they could become a, a basketball mecca. Well, there's a lot I want to do. I want to dig into what you just said. Um, and num- number one, I wonder if that's a mark of true fandom, the separation of fans or people that care about roster management uh, yeah. versus those that do not. Because, look, I love college basketball. I-, I love college basketball recruiting. I, you know, as an Illini fan, I'm not really a big fan of college football recruiting, given how it <laughs> tends to go. Yeah. But drafts, free agency, uh, you know, I, I, I'm kind of with you. I, I, lo- I love it all. And in some ways, it's sort of more exciting, right? Because it's more exciting than some of the, particularly the early season or for, for line of football, some of the midseason games. Yeah, I, I definitely think that's an astute observation that following the offseason and following the movement of players uh, is the mark of like, another level of fan i know having gone i know i talk about georgia all the time but um you gotta work from what you got and my experience in school was i was shocked when i got to georgia and like none of my classmates knew who the incoming freshmen were as football players like nick chubb was a freshman the same year as me and i I remember seeing him the first day and my friends were like okay who's nick chubb i'm gonna have to Uh, interrupt you for a second here because living in the south here living in atlanta i want to say that I have never heard, until I started meeting a lot of Georgia football fans, I've never heard a group use the phrase five-star as much as <laughs> Georgia football fans. You know, five-stars visiting this weekend, that five-stars decommit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think, I think like, I can't imagine watching a game and not knowing where each player played in high school and, and where they're coming from and how they got there and who they chose us over. Um and so for me, it's like those people aren't real fans. People don't follow all that. So yeah, you're right. I mean, it's it is like a a tier of fans. There are the fans yeah. that follow that kind of thing. There are fans that just enjoy the games and and just find out what players are on the team on game day. Well, I don't want to be too preachy, but you know, it, it look if go back uh, for you guys listening out there, go back to this Fanalytics University series we did. You know, the, this idea of fan bases are groups with shared knowledge, right? It's a foundational part of fandom. And so knowing knowing the backstory on the players, watching them develop, watching them come in, I'm with you know, it's it's hard for me to relate to the the casual fan that that doesn't know where, you know, and, and look, football might be tough with the number of players, but like in basketball, 
You bring in two, three guys, you got to know their backstory. You got to know where they played high school basketball, right? You got to know that they chose Georgia over, uh, you know, Duke, <laughs> you know, if that ever happened. Yeah. And uh, it was funny. Last week, I was talking to a quote unquote NBA fan, um, and James Harden's name came up, and they said, He plays for the Nets now? I thought he played. <laughs> I thought he played for uh, the Thunder still, and I was like, "Oh, it's <laughs> there's so much movement in the NBA uh, that if you don't follow the what's going on with players, you will soon be found out as a as a fake fan, um, not oh. knowing that James Harden's played for the Rockets for the last like forever. Um, it's, it's certainly the mark of a fake fan. Okay, so here's an interesting, you know, the like the NBA season. What are we? What are we? Three weeks in? About three week, four weeks in? NBA, we're further than that. Well, December twenty second to yeah, I guess we're we're just we're we're a little bit more than that. Yeah. So we're about a month into the NBA season now, and one of the one of the interesting storylines. And look, I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of be more of a marketing guy than a sports guy here. Feel free to be more of the sports, take more of the sports side of this. Uh, though I do think they are really related. Um, you know, I pulled up the uh, CBS power rankings. NBA power rankings. And number one was the Los Angeles Lakers. Number two were the Los Angeles Clippers. Then I think it was, uh, I want to say it was the Jazz and then the Bucks and then the Nets at number five. Yeah. Now, I can tell you that's that's tremendously interesting to me because it's almost like we've got a battle happening in two cities. One, where both teams are competitive on the, on the court, uh, Los Angeles, and the other in New York. Now, going back to like the the marketing angle on all this, so and so, I you know I spend a lot of time thinking about fan fan bases, brand equity, you know, essentially you know what are the most iconic brands in in different leagues, and I will when I'm teaching class I will always ask the audience, and so we'll do this with we'll do this with you for a second. So okay. in terms of a given market, you tell me which is the top team, whatever yeah. whatever that means. Okay. New York football, Giants, Giants or Jets? Giants, go Giants. Okay. New York baseball. Yankees. Chicago baseball. Cubs. Okay. Um, this might Some people might disagree with this. Um, San Francisco, Oakland area baseball. Ooh, I, I was going to say Giants. Well, you are correct. And and, and, yeah. and the thing is, whenever I do that, it is across the board. Those are the those are the gut responses. Those are the immediate responses. Right. And, and so in in every league where there's a in a major city where there are two teams, it has evolved to where there is one dominant team and one secondary team. In the case of you know, in in the case of Los Angeles, you know the Lakers are off the charts, and the Clippers have struggled. So I think that's an interesting story, in that those are, you know, ranked as uh, two of the top teams in the in the league this year. In the case yeah. of in the case of New York, right? You've got to be to be honest with you, uh, we, you know, we had the Nets at number five. I did not read the list far enough down to see where the Knicks came in. Pretty far back, <laughs> pretty far back. Yeah, they're they're a franchise that uh, has the history certainly, and has long. I think they have a fan base that has felt like they would end up getting LeBron at some point in his career uh, as one of his many destinations or a player of that caliber. 
Um, and they have not attracted a player of that quality, nor have they drafted a player of that quality in my lifetime. So, I mean, it's certainly been a while for the New York Knicks. Well, look, I mean, I would guess for folks your age, it's got to actually seem a little bit weird because I can think back to the Knicks glory days of Patrick Ewing, some of those guys where they were a contender. But I want to say that was the early to the mid-90s at this point. Yeah. Yeah, I think the best players they've had in my lifetime are Stephon Marbury um, from Georgia Tech. And then, of course, Kristaps Porzingis, who they traded. I still don't understand why. And uh, my favorite, though, my favorite Knicks storyline ever was, I don't know if you remember Lynn Sanity, Jeremy Lynn, when he had like, two weeks of being like the best player in the NBA out of absolutely nowhere um, and never returned to form. And they traded him or let him go after that to, to continue his career elsewhere. So um, yeah, it's interesting with the nets because the nets moved from New Jersey. They had always had a pretty competitive franchise over there. Um, I say always, I mean, you know, early two thousands, they were playing in the finals Um, moved to Brooklyn. Mikhail Prokhorov spent a lot of money and, kind of sold everyone on the fact that he was going to just pretty much buy championships for them, uh, buy their way to power. And they brought in uh, Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce late in their careers, um, as well as Jason Terry and a few others. Darren Williams, University of Illinois. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, Darren Williams was on that initial team. He was on that Nets, the New Jersey team that went to Brooklyn. Um, And then, yeah, they brought in all those guys and they were all old and they underperformed and they gave up all their assets for them. So they've been stuck in a really bad spot but the funny thing to me is like the Knicks have been an NBA purgatory. Like they're not ever a number one draft pick. Um, they haven't been in a while, but they're also not like a top playoff team. Uh, Brooklyn's either been like when Brooklyn had Garnett and those guys, they were a playoff team. They were doing pretty well. Um, and then after that, they were horrible. Like they got great draft picks, although they traded most of them away. Um, and they've been fortunate. I think, their general manager's done a, a pretty solid job getting them back in position to, to compete again. Um, but you look again, they they now have traded their future once again, a ton of draft picks to acquire James Harden and essentially go all in on the now, on the present. Um, and, and an interesting, I think, chemistry or lack thereof between, or I guess the perceived lack of chemistry is expected between Kyrie and, and Durant and Harden because all three are so ball dominant. But the Nets are all in, and it's going to be a very interesting experiment to keep up with. Uh, good, good, good term. I think good idea, like the the phrase of all in, and I think that betrays the, you know, at the end of the day, like sports fandom is about passion, and so passion's an interesting thing in and of itself. Uh, sports fandom is something I think we we both we both sort of enjoy as a phenomena, and we both take part in it. Right. But it, you know, at the end of the day, these fandom, it's a consequence of a business, right? And so the the owner of the Knicks or the owner of the Nets, the goal is to build a franchise. And you know, maybe the maybe the gold standard in basketball or maybe all of sports is the Los Angeles Lakers, right? Yes. And, and even though they were down, they're they're right back up there, right? They're yep. right back to being the iconic team in the NBA. So let me give you let me give you a couple of stats to illustrate the difference between the marketing position 
of the Knicks versus the Nets. And and keep in mind what you just said, right? It's like over the last couple of really decades, I think you can make the case that the Knicks have been better on the floor, right? It's fair. The Knicks or Nets? Sorry, the Nets. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. like, I don't know if I can make that case. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, the the Nets certainly. I mean, certainly the last mm, fifteen years. Yeah, okay. Um, 15, since J- Jason Kidd, Vince Carter, Richard Jefferson team in New Jersey. Fifteen um, years is on. a lot of time, right? Yeah. Okay. The only exception is there were maybe a year or two with yeah. Carmelo Anthony and and uh, Chauncey Billups, but outside of that, I think it's been New Jersey slash Brooklyn on okay. top. So I'm I'm pulling some data from different from slightly different years, but relatively relatively close. So in 20, 2018, 2019, the Knicks uh home attendance was about nineteen thousand. The Nets were about fifteen thousand. Uh-huh. If you look up the fan cost index, the Knicks are able to price at about twenty-five to thirty percent higher than the Nets. And, you know, just as an example, the the record of the two teams in 2018-2019, the Nets were 42 and 40, and the Knicks were 17 and 65. So in in some ways, there's a little bit of a disconnect, right, where the the team that is doing better on the floor attracts fewer fans both in the building and in the online social media space and is not does not have anywhere near the pricing power of the yeah. other, you know, perhaps more established team. Yeah. Um, and I saw that when I was, I was in uh, Los Angeles a few years ago and Kobe was still there. They were bottom of the league. Kobe was t- coming toward the end of his career. Um, certainly not the, the spectacular show Lake show that, that people are used to seeing. And I remember thinking like, well, this is great. Cause I can see Kobe before he retires um, and tickets were like three hundred dollars for a regular season game against the Wizards, uh, <laughs> for for this bottom of the league Lakers team. And I think for them, I think you could make the argument: well, they had Kobe Bryant and people, you know, he's like Michael Jordan, and, and that was valuable. But the Knicks are kind of the same way. It's like people are paying just to go in Madison Square Garden, uh, but there's no Patrick Ewing out there. There's <laughs> there's nothing close. To, to anyone you would want to see. And I think everyone thought Zion Williamson would get drafted by the Knicks. You know, that it was just destiny. They would end up with that pick and he would kind of be the next guy because it's like the Lakers. It just feels like it's a matter of time until they return to their former glory. But it's been a while for the Knicks. And part of that is bad management. Part of that's bad luck. Um, and part of that, honestly, is the fact that the Nets have recently been the better attraction for free agents. I think the Nets have have and now will certainly be even more so that way with um with the current guys they have. I think all the ring chasers in the league are going to want to go to Brooklyn and, and they know the market's just as big there as far as their opportunity um, professionally. And so it, it really is interesting to see like could this be the first time in the NBA where we've seen that second tier that second team in a city, that Clippers type team, overthrow the Lakers, overthrow the Knicks in this instance. Well, and, and that's you know, let me um back up just a little bit, but that's definitely the the fundamental question, right? The and to me it's an interesting theoretical one of what does it actually take 
to yeah. overthrow the dominant team. And right. And you know when you're when you're talking about you know the the Knicks, something struck me is it's almost like well you know Patrick Ewing's not there. It's almost like the ghost of Patrick Ewing is is still on the floor. Or you know like Charles Barkley. I mean when you mentioned some problems in management, I couldn't help but think well, but Charles, sorry Charles, I think I said Barkley, but Oakley yeah, might have yeah. actually still been in the building. Of course, he might be fighting with security. Yeah, well, um, Phil Jackson's. Uh, I think he. I don't know what his his thing is but nobody's really there to see him but he's <laughs> i think they brought him on to i think he probably sold them on the fact that he can make the knicks the lakers because he was in la for a special special couple years uh and he was in bought i mean he was in uh chicago for a special couple years so they thought maybe he'll do the same as a general manager unfortunately for them uh was not the case <laughs> i mean so but i think it boils down to right is that you know, a lot of the people in that building, and look, you could say the same thing about Chicago, right? That I'm sure Chicago Stadium still sells out. Yeah. That it is, in fact, kind of the ghost of Patrick Ewing or the ghost of Michael Jordan that is putting people in those. You're right. That is putting people in those seats, right? And and whether you call it, you know, whether it's it's sort of a habit of fandom, it's like you know, those are where the those memories, ghosts are. That that that's what the fan base has, right? It's the memories of the mid '90s with those guys, and oddly, they're not. So that again, it brings up the question of, well, what does it potentially take to 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 switch? Um, and that's where you know what the Nick, what the Nets are doing. And sorry, I keep getting that backwards. What the that's Nets it. are doing is really kind of interesting of going all in because yeah. to make that switch, and this is probably the same situation with the Clippers. You got to go all in. I mean, to me, the interesting question, and, and you know, you tell me what you think. It ain't winning one championship. No. We How many about do this. you have to? Yeah, we talked about this with the Clippers last year because there was a point last year when it looked like the Clippers had just as good a shot as the Lakers to win the NBA Finals, and it was like, well, if they do, they're still the Clippers. Like, <laughs> they're gonna have to win the next twenty championships. Mm-hmm. Um, the Nets. Uh, you know, the Lakers well, hold, don't have quite on. the history. Let's just stop there for a second. So let me give you a little bit more data. So if you look at um, if you look at Twitter followers between the Lakers and the Clippers, for the Lakers, it's 9.5 million. For the Clippers, it's 1.7 million. Yeah, yeah. And so, part you know, a simple way of looking at this is what is a championship worth in terms of followers? Because if it's a half a million, then then you're right. The Clippers really have to go on... An amazing run. Yeah. I mean, they got to do what Jordan did in Chicago um, and then go do what, what Bill Russell did <laughs> as well, uh, essentially. But, yeah, uh, Brooklyn's a little bit of a different situation because New York is as historic as that franchise is. Um, it's not the Lakers. They, I mean, they don't have that many banners hanging in, in Madison Square Garden. Um but it, I mean, the Nets, especially the Nets being in Brooklyn, like having been a relocated team, I do think it's going to take quite some time for uh, and quite a bit of success. And I think if the Nets come up short, if they go play in the finals uh, against the Lakers this year and maybe next year, maybe the year after that, if they don't come away with a championship or two and then the Knicks get good again at some point in the next 10 years. Um, it'll feel like, okay, that was a fluky, weird time when the Nets got a couple good players and were good, but now it's like back to normal. 
it with, does with the Knicks. I think it does feel that way that um, that they could win a if they won two three championships and then kind of hit the skids that the fans would you know the fans would drift over to Brooklyn but then they would all immediately go back to Madison Square Garden as soon as the Knicks were making a playoff run. But I think it's funny because on an individual level, um, like I know a few Knicks fans. And I don't. I think all of them would say, "I will never pull for the Brooklyn Nets." Like the real <laughs> Knicks fans yeah. are not. Spike Lee's not going to go pull for the Nets. Um, but the NBA is weird now too, where there's a lot of fans that aren't really fans of teams; they're fans of players. So now the Nets have three fan bases in one, and that they got the Kyrie fans, they got the Kevin Durant fans, and they got the James Harden fans. Uh, the Lakers have the LeBron fans and the AD fans, and in that group of fans moves around with the players so the nets in that sense have acquired quite mm-hmm. a large fan base in the last year or two definitely one of the macro trends out there i did just pulled up the numbers you were talking and so the lakers have the most twitter followers and again i'm just using social media as a proxy the most twitter right. followers of all the nba teams at 9.5 million but guess what lebron james has 48.8 <laughs> million yeah, exactly. So so in that sense, it's like you can kind of buy a fan base if you if LeBron's a free agent, you could pretty much well, acquire the largest fan base in the NBA just by bringing him to your team, which of course is is it takes a lot to do. Um and sometimes it takes having that history in the in the case of the Lakers. But here's but, a question. Yeah. What fan base can you buy via those players? Can you buy the 50-year-olds out there, or can you buy the 15-year-olds out there? The 15. That's the young fans. I think that I think that's I think that's kind of the uh, the key to this story, right? You can buy that younger generation, but I don't know. It, it, more, you know, maybe a different way to put it is you can rent those fans. Yeah, I, I don't yeah, know if you exactly. can buy them. Yeah. No, you can rent them, um, and then there's a chance that some of them become a fan of your team like i know i have a friend that was a lebron fan and he is now a cleveland cavaliers fan for life uh, even though <laughs> lebron moved on and he still pulls for lebron some but he felt once they won the championship he felt like that was his franchise and he has to be true to them now uh, it feels like he's cheating if he pulls for the lakers so um so i think you're it's like a rent to own kind of okay. uh, business model, but you're not always going to own. I mean, most of the time, you're probably not. But like the Nets, for example, though, renting Kevin Durant um, and Kyrie and Harden, I mean, that's that's quite the opportunity for their brand, uh, not to mention the anti-LeBron fans, the people that pull for every team LeBron plays against. And there's quite a few of those. And should the Brooklyn Nets make the finals, which of course they're going to have to make it through the Bucks and the Celtics and a few others uh, to do so, but should they make the finals, they're going to have a chance to acquire those fans or to rent those fans in, in your terms as well. Yeah, I'm looking something up quickly here because one of the one of the when I was pulling some of the data. Um, related to prices that they were charging and social media followers. One of the things I thought was interesting was the the number I gave you where the Knicks were at 2.2 and the Nets at 1.2 was mm-hmm. Twitter. Now, Twitter, I think, skews a little bit older in terms of social. I also pulled the numbers on Instagram. I was going to say, did you go on TikTok? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so I, 
I, I pulled him on Instagram because I don't have a TikTok or Snapchat account. And on Instagram, it's 2.6 million followers versus 2.6 million followers, which I think is kind of an interesting signal of where these teams might be going. Is Instagram yeah. kind of the, you know, skews younger? So is this going to be the next generation or is this just, you know, Instagram's more geared towards celebrity. So when you hire Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and James Harden, that you get that kind of, you know, the, the rental fans pop over there pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, well, that that is interesting. And I really like, I feel like we've stumbled upon quite the useful term here using rental, <laughs> the term rental, rental, rental fans uh, as particularly in the NBA because that fan for whatever reason I think the NBA has done such a good job of building player brands uh, and creating fan bases around players but at the same time you don't have the same team loyalty that you have in the NFL or that you have in college sports Um the NBA is like almost half the people that watch it, maybe even more at this point, especially the younger generations, like you said, are are all over the place as far as who they pull for. And so I think it's harder for teams to to yeah. build those brands or to maintain those fans in the NBA than it is in the NFL, although I think it's easier for players to, to build their brands and, and fan bases in the NBA. Well, you know, I think, and this is, again, you know, I want your generational insights on this. You know, yeah. I, I get the sense that when my kids watch or act as fans of the NBA, really they're just they're looking at about twelve to fifteen guys, right? Yeah. That the conversation is really not about the it's not about the Celtics and the Lakers. It's about what AD did or what um, you know Tatum did, right? It, that it's you know it's almost like they're I don't know exactly how to say this, but that they are rooting for the players and then the players just kind of land on a specific, you know, the, the player just, the teams just give the player the platform, you know, du jour at the moment rather than that they're they're not developing like, oh, I got, I'm an Atlanta Hawks fan, live and die. I'm going to bleed, uh, going to bleed Hawks red and yellow. I, I don't see that happening. Now the, the Hawks have a guy, Trey Young, that I think puts them in the conversation. But I, you know, but it's limited and really kind of player focused. Yeah, and it's it's especially interesting to me when, I mean, you see that flesh itself out so often in fan discussions. You'll hear people say things like, "It took Golden State acquiring Steph Curry, mm -hmm. Kevin Durant, and Clay Thompson in order to take down LeBron." Well, like no, like LeBron had. Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving. I mean, there's a full team on both sides, but it's it's viewed as just the superstars. So now people will say the Nets, because these players know they can't beat LeBron on their own, they're joining up, and it's going to be Harden, Durant, Kyrie taking on LeBron. Like, it's a three-on-one matchup. I'm like, well, it's LeBron and Anthony Davis. And also the Lakers have a, a heck of a bench, a heck of a roster at this point with, I mean, a guy like Montrez Harrell, um, playing on a pretty low contract. And so in, in discussions about these trades, so you look at the James Harden trade, uh, like one piece that I thought was important that has I've yet to hear even mentioned on ESPN is Jared Allen, which um, for our you know people that don't keep up with the NBA beyond these superstar players, 
one of the leading shot blockers in the NBA that played for the Nets, and he was their anchor defensively. And they give him up among you know, along with many draft picks, which of course those aren't going to affect them this season. But even just Jerry Allen, I mean, this is a team that. Uh, Kyrie Irving is not particularly known for his defense. James Harden is not particularly known for his defense. And to have, uh, you know, one of the leading shot blockers, you know, Matumbo type, of course, not of that caliber, but but that type of player, um, that frame and and that you know mentality as far as defending uh, the rim, you know, is huge when you're playing LeBron and Anthony Davis. And so that player's traded, but no one's even talking about that and and the potential trade off that Brooklyn made. All you hear about is the fact that Brooklyn acquired a third superstar. And, and that kind of um, tells the story of the NBA. Because even looking at the Nets and looking at what they gave up, you look at the Lakers a few years ago. They gave up everything to have LeBron and Anthony Davis. They had gave up all their draft picks, all their youth. And it doesn't matter because once they have those superstars, they get every free agent they want hmm. um, because people want to go play with those guys. And people think they can win championships with those guys. And so it also adds another element to these trades because you have to think, yeah, we're giving up draft picks, but at the same time, we're acquiring the ability to acquire players who are established in the league and, and they're going to want to come here now in the offseason. So we're essentially getting those players in return later on. You know what it also does? It kind of makes me think of the old Charles Barkley arguments about the value of analytics. <laughs> Yeah, in that, you know, the, the, there's some guys out there sort of crunching the crunching the numbers and trying to figure out well who's the who's going to be our seventh our seventh guy on the roster, right? Right. Um, whereas, well, why did LeBron go to the Los Angeles Lakers, right? Yeah, it was just because it was L.A. and it's the it, Lakers. It was it was L.A. and 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 we can we could dig into that right. It's like the L, the Lakers because the Lakers are the most. He wanted to be the most iconic player playing on the most iconic franchise, perhaps right. Right, but they didn't have that seventh man that jumped off the charts and said, "Wow, this is the kind of player that can make a championship." Yeah. Like they really didn't have very many of the pieces that you would look for in building a championship. They just had the big brand, okay. and that got them the big brand player. And then he got them another big brand player, and they gave up all their assets. And it's, then people just started going there just because, and now they're the best team in basketball, like a year and a half right. later. And so you, you just imagine the scenario where that Lakers roster, coaching staff, everything that they had going when LeBron decided to go out there, let's put that in Memphis. Does he go? Absolutely no. not, right? And no. so we do all the analytics in the world, but at the end of the day, you know, it's the power of the brand. It's the power of the market. Maybe he wanted to do more Hollywood deals. You know, um, Michael Jordan got to make a movie with uh, cartoon characters. LeBron got to make a movie with like Amy Schumer. You know, LeBron's I mean, doing it. LeBron's doing Space Jam as well. He's doing okay. a sequel. Yeah. Right. So it, it it looks like there's a lot of business considerations considerations happening, and yeah. It, 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 and it may it, the 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 Lakers kind of will win in the future because they've won in the past. Yeah, well, it's interesting to me what you said about Memphis. You said would LeBron go to Memphis under the same circumstances, and the answer is no. Uh, what about Brooklyn? Would LeBron go to Brooklyn in the same circumstances? We'll take it back just a few years yeah. when Brooklyn 
I mean, when the Nets moved to Brooklyn from New Jersey, Jay-Z was a minority owner, mm-hmm. uh, Mikhail Prokhorov, and their entire purpose was LeBron James. They built everything for his free agency before he went to the Heat. Everything, every roster move they made was aimed at acquiring LeBron James, yeah. having the cap flexibility to bring him in. And they missed. They they LeBron went elsewhere. Um, have they built the Nets to become the type of franchise where a LeBron would go now? I think they have. Well, they, they I, missed I think, on, And you've seen that. Yeah, they missed on LeBron, but they got Durant, right? Which Yeah, but I mean, this was, yeah. you know, no, I, seven I know or what, eight years in, the, in between that of them building it, building the brand and becoming yeah. more respected and more of a legitimate um, franchise in the eyes of players. Well, and I think that, you know, kind of harkens back to some of the conversation we had uh, last week about name, image, and, and likeness, right? Where, look, in, in some ways, you know, maybe it pains me on some level, right? That if I'm going to invest in, let's say, analytics and really yeah. crunching the numbers and projecting out, you know, player performance, you know, that that's going to really affect things on a very small margin. And that's why I sort of make the point about the, I'm going to get a better seventh man, these teams are probably better if you want to win championships and championships seems to be the key to developing these iconic or these marquee brands. You've got to attract people. And so having a structure that is attractive, look, I think we just sort of nailed it, right? That LA is attractive because it can, what it can do for the LeBron James brand. Brooklyn is attractive for what it can do for the Kevin Durant brand. You've got to, you know, you've almost got to just build the organization Given your 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 constraints, right? Sorry, Memphis. Sorry, Charlotte. Sorry, Milwaukee. To actually do something where these guys can get to the level they want to get at, which and you know, Milwaukee obviously is a franchise that is going to be closely watched on that dimension quickly. Yeah. And I'll leave it to you to pronounce the gentleman's name if you want to give it a shot. Giannis. <laughs> okay. Giannis is, is yeah. you're t- discussing. <laughs> um, well, I th- I think the counter argument to what yeah. we're saying. Is a team like Milwaukee, a, a team like even Golden State? I know Golden State is historically a, a great basketball franchise, but they built their recent dynasty through the draft. I mean, yeah, Curry was a guy a lot of guys passed on. They picked Clay Thompson wasn't exactly an early pick. Neither was Draymond Green um, as far as early first round. And so they built their core through the draft, through, I'm sure, yeah, quite a bit know, of analytics goes into that. Same with Giannis, again, a guy who now we look at as like, oh, yeah, he should have been number one. Well, he wasn't. Somebody, you know, was projecting him to to turn out this way. You want to know what's kind of an interesting little aside on the, uh, on the Golden State situation is, yeah. you know, in some ways it's kind of fascinating that that city or that area kind of that – that that franchise became dominant at the same point where so much wealth was accruing in that market, right? Because one of the, one of the fascinating things in all of this, and you sort of, you think about the nature of these, these markets and again, not to pick on Memphis too much, but I think Memphis has the lowest median income of any market in the league. Well, the San Francisco Bay area may well have the highest. Right. And so it's kind of a, it was kind of a, a fortuitous event for the um, for the NBA that the stars aligned because I do agree with you. You know, I, look where was Steph Curry picked in the draft, right? That the stars aligned where they ended up with a, a real impactful superstar, a top five brand in the league, 
in a market where suddenly there was kind of endless wealth being concentrated. Yeah, Golden State's always been interesting to me because it's like they're perceived as a small market team. Like they're perceived like they're, like they're Memphis or something, um, yeah. just because they're not Los Angeles or, or and I think Brooklyn can be that way because people think of Brooklyn as a mini New York City or and don't understand how large um, that area is and how many people are populated and, and how big basketball is in that area. Um, but yeah, I mean, the stars certainly aligned for for Golden State. But teams like that, though, um, teams that have built through the draft, and the Spurs are, are a classic example of a dynasty that built primarily through the draft. Um, and then currently, I think that's what Milwaukee's trying to do, trying to set the example of is there's always going to be a place for that. And there's always going to be a need for it. If you don't have, if you're not Los Angeles or Brooklyn, you don't have this big market to bring in these free agents and attract them. How else? are you going to become elite and compete with those teams? And it's going to have to be, you have to do something different. You got to beat them in the draft. You got to beat them. And then like Milwaukee's been able to keep Giannis around. Um, so you've got to create a, a the kind of atmosphere, you know, where you're recruiting the guys you draft, you're recruiting them to stay. And we've seen that with Milwaukee. We'll see how, um, see how it, it turns out, but they've certainly been able to acquire more players even in free agency, just based on the fact that they drafted Giannis and that they have this like potential Hall of Fame type player, MVP type player on their roster already. Well, you know this this conversation reminds me a lot about the world of a lot of the world of baseball in a way. Yeah, where you know you 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 perceive you know some teams, small market teams, build through the build through the uh, farm system and then try and ride those players that youth as long as they can before they sort of move on. Yeah. Okay, let me ask you, do you want a theoretical question or an empirical question? Uh, we'll go theoretical. Okay. Um, you're going to get both, just the order that you're going to get them in. <laughs> so why can there only be one? In New York? Well, and let me let me rephrase that question. So I asked you earlier today before we turned the mics on if you ever seen the movie Highlander. And in Highlander, there's the classic line is there can only be one. The and, and look, I'll give you an assignment, Doug, to watch Highlander. But basically, there are these immortals fighting throughout time, killing them, killing each other off one by one because there can only be one. So why I can see. there be only one dominant franchise in any of these cities? Wow, that's that's a really great question. Um, give me a second to ponder on this one. Well, in I'll I'll give you a little bit more time here because in in look obviously it's related to what we're discussing right so the the related to the question of well how many championships would the second team have to win yeah. but even then you come back to let's say Chicago baseball where the Cubs had a notorious drought between championships and yet the Chicago Cubs and through accident of history does the WGN TV contract the Cubs had definitely become the dominant brand without a lot more in terms of winning. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think part of it, the reason why there's, there's only one is the fact that people gravitate toward the winner. And so once one team has some bit of edge, more people gravitate toward that fans and players alike. And, and it just becomes more and more of like a, I don't want to say group think, but um, it's kind of a mob on one side and there's kind of the underdog on the other side and it just becomes that way. I think of... Why don't you... Uh, 
Why don't you want to say group think? I think that might be that might be kind of perfect. Maybe it does work. Yeah, we're not I talking just, about anything important, right? We're not yeah. talking about <laughs> well, the, the, I, yeah, the I issues or the political. We're talking. I about, didn't want to accuse you know Lakers fans yeah. of being of being Nazis or anything, but <laughs> um, <laughs> but but yeah, I mean it, it kind of becomes that way. And I think I was getting to the fact that I'm from Alabama, and it's always felt like that with Alabama and Auburn. Um, even growing up, like. Auburn was better than Alabama, but Alabama was always the dominant yeah. fan base. Like they have the championships, they have the the fans. Like when we were kids, and everybody would always ask, "You're an Alabama fan or an Auburn fan?" Those were your two choices. Well, who you know, did Alabama you root for before you became a Georgia fan? I was always a Georgia fan. I uh, my mom went there, and she, okay. she raised me right. But uh, <laughs> but but did, if you had to pick between Alabama and Auburn, which way did you go? Well, it's changed over the years. As a okay. kid, I would have said Auburn. Um, and the reason why wasn't because they were winning, but it was, I think I liked that they were kind of the perceived underdog. Like I was always the, and you can see that in me from the fact that I chose to pull for Georgia. Like I liked the outsider. I liked being different. I liked, you know, I was that type of fan. Um, I liked, you know, even in, in things outside of, uh, sports like music and movies that were different than the mainstream per se. And, and we all know those people that are like, oh, I, I liked that person before they were famous or I liked, you know, this movie that no one else likes or whatever. But I was kind of that way as a kid. Um, and so I pulled for Georgia. But if I had to choose between those two, I would pull for Auburn. And it was just because it felt like everybody pulled for Alabama and Alabama had all these championships and the expectation was that they were going to win. And so I was going to pull for them not to. And, and, and you know what? It's probably that I think you did a nice job on that theoretical question because it probably is that simple, right? That for the most part people want to fit in right so there's like kind of yeah. these fundamental human needs and so right. most people sort of do fitting in and in which case they root for the they root for the the lakers or they root for the cubs and then there yeah. will always be that segment that likes to differentiate themselves and be a little bit of an individual in which case well then you throw on the chicago white Sox jersey right yeah and, exactly and, and i'm at my last job there was a guy that was a mets fan and like every person, because they love to talk baseball, and every time somebody, uh, you know, to talk, who do you pull for? And I, I pull for the Red Sox, I pull for the Yankees, I pull for the Cubs, I pull for the Dodgers, and you get to this guy, pull for the Mets, and everyone will always be like, why do you pull for the Mets? Uh, but I think some people thrive off of that, and I certainly, like I said as a kid, like I pulled for the New York Giants, and I liked when people would ask me, why yeah. do you pull for the Giants? At the time, they weren't even good. They weren't a playoff team. I was like, well... I like Tiki Barber. He's my hero, and um, I think the Giants are the, the have the best fan base in sports. And I'm just going to pull for them until the day that they're good. And it was it was kind of this like I liked the attention or the uh, the how it differentiated me from the next person that just pulled for um, the Cowboys or you know the Atlanta Falcons who were kind of the close to home team. Okay, and the next question. And this one, like I said, pure empirical. And and yeah. I didn't even I had never really even thought about this question until this morning when I was pulling some numbers. So I pulled the Twitter followers for each of those major market teams, the shared markets. Yeah. And then the last one I pulled as I th- was thinking about it was the NFL. So right now we have the Los Angeles Chargers and we've got the Los Angeles Rams. And the <laughs> Twitter count for those two teams are the Chargers at 914K <laughs> and the Rams at 938K. So Ooh. as a marketer, 
we are in the midst of, you know, two teams moved to LA, this giant market where pro football had struggled that are now in a battle for, you know, again, to come back to the Highlander, there can only be one, which one is it going to be? Yeah, that's, that's awesome that we have, we have like every different level of this evolution in sports right now you've got the lakers clippers where it's well established you've got the nets knicks where uh, one team is dominant but it looks like the other team has the opportunity to potentially overthrow them and then you've got rams chargers where it's dead even both teams are in a new environment there are very few lifelong fans in that environment in that city and we're gonna find out who you know, who wins that and we'll, we'll see, you know, it'll take us back to, I don't know, like how did the Yankees become great or how did the, how did the giants become great when I guess, cause they were actually pr- playing at the same time as, as the jets. Um, so we'll, we'll find out what happens there. I definitely think early on, I thought it would be the Rams. They made the super bowl in one of their first years with Jared Goff, Todd Gurley, that team. Well, they also made the super bowl as the, Los Angeles Rams back in the day. Yeah, right? and, and they have the history in in LA. They kind of it's like they were they were coming home whereas the Chargers are a little bit of a homeless team that's that is kind of on um uh, you know they're just staying afloat by moving to Los Angeles. So we'll see. I will say this. Uniforms are always <laughs> big to me and I think I think the Rams have such an edge in so many areas but this last offseason both teams released their uniforms. The Chargers unis are beautiful. Everyone loved them. The Rams were a joke. People still make fun of them every time they're on TV. If you just type in Rams on Twitter, you'll see somebody roasting the uniforms. So those are huge. Also, quarterbacks we know in football are huge. And Justin Herbert was the steal of the 2020 draft. Um, killing it in in his rookie year. And, uh, you know, Jared Goff, I think, maybe there starts to be the opinion that he won't be this elite quarterback. Um, whereas Justin Herbert, the, this, I don't know. It's the future certainly looks bright with him. So I think as much as I anticipated the Rams to kind of dominate that city going into it, um, the chargers have done everything they can through the draft and through their branding, as far as uniforms and, and logos and things of that nature, where they're earning the respect and, and you know, the fandom of, of some, some people in Los Angeles. I think, you know, I'm not going to quibble with any of that answer. Um, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I think, you know, looking at the looking at the rosters and the quarterback situation and projecting out one is likely to have more success over the, you know, near or extended term. And then maybe a little bit better marketing, which leads to in terms of uniforms, which leads to Mm -hmm. merchandising. Um, You heard it here first. The Chargers are going to own L.A. Wow. So, <laughs> wow. as we uh, wrap up this week's episode, Doug, who are you rooting for? Anything you want to call out? Oh, man. I. It's weird because, like, college football's over. NFL this week is probably the big one for me. Um, I'm pulling for Aaron Rodgers in, in the pack, uh, and I'm also pulling for the Bills. I think those two teams probably won't make it. But uh, the Bills, because, A, my friend Sam works for the Bills. He's a great guy. And he's gotten me uh, all aboard the the Bills bandwagon. I'm not saying I'm a Bills fan. I'm just saying I'll pull for them against the Chiefs, just because they're you know, like I said before, I'm I'm an underdog kind of guy. I like pulling for the 
the team that's that no one expects to make the Super Bowl. Um, the Packers, because I've always, always, always been Aaron Rodgers is the GOAT. That's been my opinion. Again, unpopular opinion. I know I keep <laughs> reinforcing that, but it's like I, I'm realizing the more we talk about this that I am that guy. Um, I've always been on that train. I know most people are on the Tom Brady train, um, and people that aren't are certainly not on the Aaron Rodgers train more times than not as someone else. But I think seeing those two face off at this age, they're obviously both past their primes. Um, but it's it's kind of like maybe one last shot at a Super Bowl for both of them. Who knows? And that is a game I'm very much looking forward to. A battle of of two potential goats uh, going at it. It's like if Jordan and Kobe went at it if they were both in their late years at the same time but had a chance to make the NBA Finals Game Seven. Like as good as it gets for given the fact that they're not <laughs> that they're not in their athletic prime. So. Really looking forward to that one. Pulling for the Packers, pulling for the Bills this weekend. Okay, I'm gonna throw. I'm gonna go a little bit direction, a little bit of a different direction with what I'm looking for. So I watched, um, and actually I enjoyed it, but I watched I don't know 16 episodes of The Mandalorian for you. So I'm going to ask you to watch. You know, the to me the theme for this week's episode is there can only be one, which brings me back to Highlander, which is a movie from. 1986 that I think you need to go out and view over the next week. (laughs) And I will say, go Kurgan. 